Hello, romantics. Welcome to It Pot to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather. In each episode, I'll be chatting with a guest about one of their favorite romantic comedies from classics to modern hits. My guest today is Aaron Fraser. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Manish? Doing pretty well, trying to keep afloat in this uh, pandemic. You know, it's funny. I keep, I, it's like every new episode I'm recording, I say how I'm trying to make it this pandemic. It's like, oh boy, it's tough. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah, I mean, ab- about the same. It's yeah. I haven't left my house in days. I'm probably suffering from a vitamin D deficiency at this point. Oh yeah. Point. <laughs> yes, we all are. I'm sure. Um, well, really excited to have you on, um, and I'm very excited about the film that you chose uh, for this episode. Would you like to introduce it? Sure. So. I don't. I don't know if I would necessarily say that this is one of my favorite romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that I don't like it, but the reason that I really wanted to discuss it is because this is the very first film I ever saw in theaters. Oh wow! <laughs> yes, thirty years ago. So I was three years old, <laughs> <laughs> and my mother and my aunt. Uh, took me to see it with them while all of my cousins and siblings went to go see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. (laughs) And I was a pretty woman. And so in a way, this film just feels like such a part of my own cinephile history. (laughs) Yeah. That I just really wanted, I wanted to revisit it and I wanted to discuss it. And it is now the, it was, I think, back in March the 30th. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny, like, I was thinking, like, this movie, I feel like, is, like, ingrained in my mind as, like, sort of, like, um, like, the peak of romantic comedies. I mean, I know, like, there have been amazing ones after, but for some reason, like, when I think of, like, romantic comedy, I think of Pretty Woman, and I think of Julia Roberts, especially, and, um... I think just because, like, this is such a, like, classic kind of romantic comedy, like, you know, that kind of, like, fairytale aspect to it, and um, just it has that, like, it's just, like, one of the movies that has played, you know, so many times on television, that I've seen it so many times, and, like, you know, the scenes are iconic, the outfits are iconic, the ending is iconic, the music is iconic. Like, it just feels so, like, ingrained into pop culture. Um, so I'm really glad that we're talking about it. So, okay, you said you were uh, about three years old when you first saw it. So do you remember that experience at all? Or is it just, like, you just remember that was, like, that's just been a story that's been told, that that's your first movie? Yeah, I have no memory of it. Uh, yeah. But my my mother and my aunts have never stopped telling this story because apparently I said very loudly in the movie theater, "Where are those girls' pajamas?" <laughs> <laughs> so I I have no memory of it. Uh, but we had it on VHS growing up, so yeah. I 
I watched it a lot. It was just kind of one of those movies that we had around that we would rewatch all the time, like Dirty Dancing yeah. and oddly enough, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which I wasn't allowed to see as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny. It's usually the opposite, right? Like the more like sexy movie is the one that gets right. like, you know, hidden, like forbidden. And then the more violent movie is like, okay for kids. It's interesting. Yeah, I asked my mom about this recently because I said I'm I'm going to have to defend your choice here. So so why did you decide that? And, yeah. and it was basically she was just like, well, I didn't want your cousins and your siblings to have to put up with you, and I wasn't about to go. To <laughs> but I, I actually think um, that her choice is somewhat valid because. You know, I I was three years old and she didn't know if Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would be scary or violent or like it it could it could really frighten. Um, Whereas sex is something, you know, most of us have to be like an experience. Yeah, yeah. You kind of have to be, like, cognizant of it, right, to really catch out, like, inappropriate it might be, but... Exactly. Um, yeah, so, like, as you were growing up, like, do you remember, like, the first time that you, like, kind of watched it in full as, like, maybe not an adult, but, like, somewhat older than three? <laughs> I don't know if I remember the first time. It was just, it was one of those movies that was always on. Yeah. That That just, like... I don't know if I can exactly pinpoint when I first remember it, but definitely, you know, at least around seven, which again, it's a movie about a prostitute. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's one of those things that we would watch at like slumber parties and stuff. So it really, it really never dawned on me as a kid that it was, it was as mature as it is. Uh, And I probably never really thought about what a hooker was. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, I um, I also don't remember the first time I saw it, like, as someone who, like, was, would, like, pay attention to, like, a story <laughs> and two characters. Um, and I think that, yeah, like, it must have been, like, middle school or high school, like, kind of, like, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s. And, because um, I was, um, I was one years old when this movie came out, um, 1990, so, and... Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's just one of those movies that I think is just so, um, like, in the fabric of our, like, 90s, you know, 2000s, like, cultural thing. And I think a lot of that has to do with Julia Roberts. And I know that, you know, uh, you and I are both big fans of hers. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say is her favorite role of hers? Um, oh, as Julia Roberts? Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to be basic and say Aaron Brockovich. I yeah. I mean, that's the one that she won the Oscar for, and I think she's fantastic there. I also really love her in all the Oceans films. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's been a while, but I feel like Sleeping with the Enemy is probably somewhat underrated. Oh, I agree. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, I just... she's She's got that smile. <laughs> I know, I know. And, like, it's... I mean, like, Julia Roberts, like... I mean, she's one of those actors that, like, is, like, synonymous with, like, capital M movie, capital S star, you know? Like, she just, like, has that... that reputation. I mean, she's been, like, in so many hit movies. Like, I, for one, love Stepmom, and I love, um... My best, friend, my best friend's wedding, and, um... I just watched Notting Hill and Aaron Brockovich, like, recently, like, in the last... like, since lockdown started... Because those are just two movies that I just, like, have, like, passed by, and they were streaming on some channel or whatever, so... And I'm just, like, watching it, being like, oh, wow, like, 
you forget how good an actress she is because she's such a like big movie star. I mean, do you find that to be true, or because even I just in like. I mean, I've watched also, um, like, Duplicity, and just, like, I've just been on a kick with her, and I'm like, oh, wow, like, she's actually, like, a really great actress, even though it's something that I knew, and something that I have always appreciated, but, like, because she's so, like, big as, like, a presence, I, like, I feel like I forget that, like, she's actually very talented. Yeah, and I think also, because she's often in movies that appeal to women, yeah, yeah well. <laughs> she gets dismissed and and overlooked yeah you know but you just that scene oh is it i think it's yeah it's oceans 12 where she has to play her oceans 12 character or her whole her oceans character pretending to be julia roberts yeah, is, yeah. it it it's amazing <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, I mean, she. I mean, like, Ocean's Twelve is a movie that has really grown on me. Uh, now that I can like appreciate like what it's you know what it's doing, um, but you know, I think like with Pretty Woman, I th- um, a lot of the I think lasting kind of appeal of this movie comes from her, right? Yeah. I mean, that that's sort of the common denominator of all the articles that I read about Pretty Woman is that like the reason why this movie was such a hit with you know audiences especially with you know women audiences was because of Julia Roberts and i mean i i think that like a lot of the best moments in the film have to do with you know her um specifically not just like the big romantic moments but i mean i think like the best scene in the movie is like you know the Rodeo Drive scenes you know when she's like um first kind of with the uh, like snobby um uh, salespeople, and then, like, you know, when she's being waited on at the other store, and then when she goes back to the snobby store and, you know, has a famous line, like, big mistake, huge. Like, yeah, that, that's, that's gotta be the most satisfying scene in the movie, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's always been my favorite scene in this film. Yeah. When I was re-watching it just the other day, I got I got so excited when I got there, and I started poking yeah. Matt, my partner, like, she's going to tell them off. She, she gets to go shopping, and then she gets to tell them off. Uh, yeah. It's just, like, and that's, that's like, you know, just, like, that, that female wish fulfillment thing of, like, she gets so much money to go shopping. And that was yeah. the scene I loved as a kid. Still one of my favorite scenes. Uh, I always think of uh, Romeo and Michelle and Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion yeah. where they're watching the film and they're like, we just love it when they let her go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think you're more invested in her going shopping yeah. than you are in her romance with Richard Gere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely true. Um, I, I think like for me, like watching this movie, like, I mean, I, I think I like earlier, I called it a fairy tale and it's something that's like, I keep thinking up thinking about it because like, it does have that, you know, rags to riches thing. That's the Cinderella story. And, um, but I think that the, um, the fairy tale aspect of it is like, as we we're saying, like, not the romance. Like, it's not that she finds Prince Charming, but it's that she actually gets some, like, respect and gets to, like, live her, like, fullest potential and get out of, you know, this, her, situ- her situation, um, as a sex worker. But, um, I mean, like, do you feel that, like, I mean, I kind of want to get into the, like, sort of the 80s part of it, you know, this, like, um, the idea of, like, upward mobility through, like, like wealth and consumerism, and, because um, I think that, to me, is, like, the most fascinating part of Pretty Woman is, like, it's a really 
it's a movie that's like really steeped into that culture a lot more than I have realized or remembered from last time I saw it years ago. Um, so like, how do you feel about like this, you know, the, like kind of the wealth on display in her, um, like moving up through the classes through just like, you know, her, like being able to like, like the, the signifier of her upper mobility is her ability to like spend and own things. Yeah. It is a film that is obsessed with wealth and consumerism to a degree that, that I do find troubling that I do find problematic uh you know i appreciate that in the ending one of the the things that i think is really important is that um you know vivian says that that she's gonna save him too yeah and and i think that you know (laughs) i really want to believe it but there there is kind of a, a power dynamic that the film never really gets away from where he always has the upper hand on her um, because he's the one buying the services. He's the one with the money. Yeah. And, and she, she has to learn to adapt to his world and he never has to learn to adapt to hers. And so there's a way the kind of a, Oh, I, I always mess up this word. The the Pygmalion is that how you say the name of the play? Yeah, or like Pygmalion, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which was the basis for My Fair Lady. That aspect to to the film of like having to make her over and make her more refined <sighs> again through this through this consumerism yeah. through through this wealth it. <sighs> It, may, it, it makes perfect sense for the time. You know, it's the end of the 1980s, the the beginning of the 1990s, right. uh, you know, so, and the 80s were all about consumerism. But with today's lens, you know, that, that is an aspect of the film that, you know, I, I do... I do find troubling and I do find concerning, like, what, what it has to say to women about, you know, a about how you need to, what you need to do in order to find a man and be valued. But at the same time, it is a product of its time. And also women do enjoy shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily intentional in its uh, kind of greed is good, uh, you know, to borrow the, the Wall Street, Wall Street yeah. uh, line. I don't think it's necessarily intentional in wanting to put that out, but I do think that that was just that was just kind of in the water. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like I, um, yeah, like it's, I don't think this movie is a critique of that lifestyle at all. But no. I also am kind of like, well, you know, um, but like, yeah, I mean, that's the wish fulfillment part of it, and it's not just women. I mean, you know, granted, I'm not like. I mean, I can't speak for, like, the men of, like, that era, but, like, for me, I was definitely, like, yeah, when she's, like, telling off the salespeople, when she's, you know, impressing people at, you know, like, the various events or at the opera, I'm kind of, like, yeah, like, it would be kind of nice to, like, you know, for a week be kind of whisked off into this, like, you know, magical fairy tale experience and, you know, fall in love with a rich person and just, you know, live your life, but... 
You know, I think the Pygmalion, My Fair Lady comparison is so interesting to me because I think this movie, like you were saying, like, I don't quite buy the line of, you know, well, you know, the princess rescues him right back or saves him right back. Like, I don't really buy it because, like, you're right. Like, there's no, like, he doesn't kind of at all go into her world or nor does she really help him in any way except for like the sort of like nebulous vague notion or like abstract thing of like well now he can like love again which Mm -hmm. is like so abstract and I'm like well that could be any girl that he meets it doesn't have to be I mean it doesn't have to be like a you know a sex worker that he like picks up and you know what I mean like it's whereas like in like the My Fair I mean I think this movie is more My Fair Lady than Pygmalion I mean not that they're that different but just I think the influence is from more from My -hmm. Fair Lady and I mean, My Fair Lady is one of my favorite movies and favorite musicals, so, like, um, so, like, for me, like, watching this, like, even in My Fair Lady, like, you do sense a change in Henry Higgins more than I saw with Richard Gere in this movie, especially, like, because, like, Henry Higgins really gets, like, cut down to size multiple times by many people, and... You know, I, I don't I don't really see that happening here. Um, except maybe he like that he like deigns to go into like this poor neighborhood. <laughs> um, but yeah, and he doesn't but, buy and sell off that company. That's 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 how you can tell that his moral compass has a. Uh... Has moved, yeah. and he doesn't I, let her be sexually assaulted again. Yeah, I was just gonna okay. say, like, I think that like um, the George, or not George, um, Jason Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> like I think, like yeah, he probably like saw that kind of behavior from uh, was it uh, Stucky? Is that his name? Yeah, in the film. Yeah, I think he like saw that, but just ignored it. But now it's like, oh, he cares, which is problematic in its own way. That it's like takes someone he knows being assaulted for him to care. But yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I I don't really buy that line. Have you ever seen um, an officer and a gentleman with Richard no. Gere and Deborah Winger? I haven't actually, surprisingly, because I I do love Richard Gere. Yeah, so that movie has a similar ending, which is like this like very big romantic ending that's very like classic. Um, and also like has him like going to her to like like he literally like picks her up and like carries her off. Yeah, and it's very romantic and like. Um, in that movie, it's, like, it's similar, it's a similar kind of thing where it's, like, you think he's, like, rescuing her from, like, her life, but, like, they're trying to sell it that, like, she's rescuing him, too, but I think in An Officer and a Gentleman, they sell it a little better than this movie, uh, partially because I think Richard Gere is, like, fully awake in An Officer and a Gentleman, and I don't quite enjoy his performance here. Um, aside from being very dashing and debonair, and like he is very, I mean, like when he's with Julia Roberts and he's like, they're like kind of playing off each other, I think it works really well, but like there's just not much going on there, in my opinion. I don't know how do you feel about that. Yeah, it, it was disappointing for me because I, 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 I love Richard Gere. Yeah, um, sure. He's so incredibly handsome. And yeah. I, I watched uh, American Gigolo uh, a couple weeks ago, mm. partly because I, I knew that I was going to be discussing Pretty Woman, and I was like, oh, I should watch Richard Gere playing a prostitute. Yeah. Uh, and he's so good at that. He's incredible. Uh, it's a very, very different film. Obviously, yeah. it's a Paul Schrader film. Uh, but I was really let down here because I think the character, the character's just really bland, you know? And yes, they do have great chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, and, and that iconic scene of him opening the jewelry box and closing it on her hand. Like, who doesn't love that moment? Yeah. But I think for long stretches of the film, especially anytime he's in his corporate world, uh, I think he's kind of a snooze fest. And yeah. I, I, I can't blame Gear for it. Like, it, I just doesn't feel like he's been given much to work with. It doesn't feel like the yeah. character yeah. has really been thought out beyond this, like, oh, he's a corporate raider. Uh, who's you know going to learn to love again? But there's just there's something there's something kind of stale about it. I mean, it's With, kind of an yeah, impossible. It's yeah, it's kind of an impossible character just because, like, yeah. by nature, he's very like stoic and like unfeeling. So, like Richard Gere, like, yeah, of course, like I don't blame him. I we all know he's a fantastic actor. You know, this movie, Unfaithful, Chicago, like he's been he's great all the time, but. Um, I think that, yeah, like, it's just, like, kind of the, it's the kind of character that just, like, is kind of, like, just mopey, I guess. Not, not even mopey, but just, just, like, yeah, there. Um, and so I think, like, Julia Roberts, like, I mean, she does so much to bring him out of it. Um, but, yeah, and, like, I mean, you mentioned the, the necklace scene. Like, to, it's, like, this movie's, like, one of those movies where it's, like, there's so many moments that are so classic that, like, but they still land so well. Like, even though I've seen that scene so many times, and I've seen it parodied, I've seen people pay homage to it, like, I, I know 30 Rock did a really funny parody of it um, in its first season, and, like, but this, when they do it in the movie, it's just, like, it just works, and, like, that laugh, oh my god, it's just so, like, yeah, it's so great. It's that um, laugh, it's that voice, it's just that, like, especially coming out of a woman who's like in that perfect red dress that like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it just kind of erupts out of her and it just, I don't know. I, she really, really sells this character and this performance. She's, she's the reason why this film was as popular as it was and why it continues to resonate. Yeah. And she sells like this character in like all her different, like, like avatar like like avatars are like in like all the different kinds of like outfits she's wearing like you know like in the beginning she's like it's you know like playing that kind of i mean i hate this term but like streetwalker i guess that's what she would that's what she is like um i don't like that word but like it's like you could do that in a way that's like so um like corny where she's just like really like putting on the, like, street smarts kind of tough-talking thing, but she doesn't do it. She's very natural. Like, she and Laura San Giacomo have, like, really fun chemistry as friends. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, like, as she's, like, um, as she's, like, getting more, like, comfortable wearing the, like, new clothes and in these environments, she's, like, also, sells, like, sells it so well and being, like, slowly getting comfortable but like not quite there she doesn't like change herself like overnight into this like sophisticated person you know she's still like she's still herself and that's yeah i really i really love that about her performance Mm -hmm. yeah and i think like as it goes on there's just there's so many kind of subtle layers i think to the way that that character transforms yeah and 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 robert sells it so much in her body it's a very physical performance um you know obviously everyone talks about her smile and her face but you know if you watch it just kind of how she she moves about the hotel room kind of the first time that that she gets there and then how just the way that she occupies space throughout the scenes changes over the course 
of the film Mm -hmm. and you slowly start to see her develop maybe maybe not a sense of self-respect but i think a stronger sense of self-worth yeah yeah and not that she like looks down on what she was doing or what her friend was doing but you know you have to buy you have to buy it when it gets to the moment where where gear says you know like i'm gonna put you up and essentially like take care of you but I'm you're still indebted to me and you're going to be my side piece sort of thing. Yeah. You have to get to the point where it's believable that she would turn that down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and she always has that like look of like, am I being, you know, played here in the, in the beginning. And I love her look when they settle on $300 for the night yeah. um, and how quickly he says yes. And the look on her face, and just the way that she moves, where she, where you can tell she's like, I should have asked her more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, just, it's I mean, immediate. It's just like, I should have asked her more. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Like, she says earlier that, like, her rate is $100 an hour. And then she just spends an entire night for 300 I'm kind of like, yeah, you could at least ask for, like, at least 600 It's a lot. It's a lot of time. And then, and then a whole six days for three thousand. Like yeah. another cutting. <laughs> yeah, I mean basically she's that's like yeah. Yeah, that's like about thirty hours worth of work for her. I mean, not to be so crass, but like I mean she's like acting in a way that like I think any of us would be acting. Like I mean, I don't know how many how many like, you know, penthouse suites you've been in, but like if I were to go to one I'd be like, Yeah, like Enjoy, like you know, taking a like a chill bu- bubble bath and like eating everything you see and like just enjoying the like space. Like she doesn't like it's like such a relatable performance, even though she's in such a like you know high concept premise of like you know the like sex worker who you know is kind of whisked off for a week. I don't have to undress me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baby. I wanna be your. Well, maybe you could be mine. Mm-hmm. You just leave it all up to me. <laughs> Don't you just love Prince? More than life itself. Don't you knock? Vivian, I have a business proposition for you. What do you want? I'm going to be in town until Sunday. I'd like you to spend the week with me. Really? Yes. Yes, I'd like to hire you as an employee. Would you consider spending the week with me? <laughs> I will pay you to be at my beck and call. Look, I'd love to be your beck and call girl, but um, you're a rich, good-looking guy. You could get a million girls free. I want a professional. Don't need any romantic hassles this week. If you're talking 24 hours a day, it's going to cost you. Oh, yes, of course. All right, here we go. Give me a ballpark figure. How much? Six full nights, days to 4,000. Six nights at 300 is 1,800. You want days too? 2,000. 3,000. Done. Holy shit! <laughs> Vivian. Vivian, is that a yes? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'll be gone most of the day. I want you to buy some clothes. 
You really should think about travelers' checks. We may be going out evenings. You'll need something to wear. Like what? Uh, nothing too flashy, not too sexy. Conservative, you understand? Boring. Elegant. Any questions? Can I call you Eddie? Not if you expect me to answer. I would have stayed for 2000 I would have paid for. I'll see you tonight. Baby, I'm going to treat you so nice, you're never going to want to let me go. 3000 for six days. And Vivian, I will let you go. You know, I do... Uh, I do want to talk about, you know, this film and, like, its portrayal of sex work. Because I found it very fascinating to watch, you know, with a 2020 lens. Uh, but first, I want to see what, what your thoughts are on on that angle of it. Well, it was criticized at the time for, for glamorizing sex work. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and at the time, you know, again, obviously I wasn't paying attention to feminist issues when I was three. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think in the 30 years since it came out, um, legitimizing sex work has become much more of a feminist issue yeah. and, and something that, that people talk about more. And so I think, I think there's a value in showing a sex worker who who's in control of things, who, who is aware of the dangers of her job. You know, she, she sees a woman being pulled out of a dumpster yeah, uh, and, and she has that conversation. Yeah. That was shocking. Yeah. About that. I, Oh God, there again, because this is a movie from my childhood. There were a bunch of things I forgot about or things that as I was watching it, I was like, that joke flew over my head. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like when she reaches over and, uh, Oh, he says something about something being stiff and she reaches over and says not yet or something. <laughs> I didn't get that as a kid. Uh, but sorry, yeah. going back, going back to, to uh, the portrayal of sex work. Um, you know, yeah, she's, she's aware of the dangers and her and Kit are, are, are in control of it, but they have this conversation about like, you know, should we, should we get a pimp? Could we, should we get that protection? They're like, no, it's, our money, we say who, we say when, we say how much. And so I think, you know, and the film doesn't get into um, any any issues around race. You know, notably, she is a white woman yeah. who is able to make a living as a sex worker and not have to essentially deal with um, some of the things that, that, that non white that women of color would potentially have to deal yeah. with. Um, and, and all, I was trying to think of this, all other examples of like quote unquote positive portrayals of sex workers that have come since like secret diary of a call girl and the girlfriend experience. I'm sure there's some I'm missing. Those are all also about white women. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I do think there is, um, you know, she's, she's a prostitute in LA. So I think that, you know, the film doesn't want to get into any sort of racial element. So I, I think that is potentially missing from a more comprehensive view of sex work in LA, but that's yeah. not what the film is about. And so, yeah, on one hand, they gloss over potentially like a lot of the realities but i think they also present it as like legitimate work and she's you know 
she's kind of her own little businesswoman. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was watching this film and um, wondered, being like, wow, this is actually very, like, positive or at least, like, human, you know, mm-hmm. portrayal of, of the sex work. And, you know, it, not in, like, I, I didn't feel this film was at all, like, condescending to her or patronizing of just, like, oh, wow, like, she's a human being, you know, like, um, she was just a person, you know, and this is just what she did. And, um, I, uh, I'm sure in your research you've come across, you know, the like concept of the original script, uh, for this mm-hmm. film before Gary Marshall kind of re- reworked it, but, um, it was called 3000, which is like the amount of money that she, uh, asks or negotiates for, um, for her time. And essentially, it was like a much darker version of the of the story. You know, Vi- the Vivian character um, was like a drug addict, and like one of the conditions of the week is that she or her employment, I guess, uh, is that she had to stay out drugs for the whole week. And in the end of the film, of course, like or in the end of that original concept, um, they don't get together, and he kind of essentially throws her out back to where she came from. And I think. I think I remember reading that, like, he, like, throws the money at her, like, kind of in a derogatory way, and they, she and um, uh, Kit go to, like, Dis- Disney World or something like that, or Disneyland, and, like, it's supposed to be this, like, very, like, r- kind of rough and gritty um, version of the story, and then I think Gary Marshall, like, somehow got that script and was able to see the potential for, like, a mainstream random comedy, and, um... From what I hear, the original screenwriter of the film um, was seemed to be pretty okay with how the movie turned out. I mean, of course, I'm sure he... Um, his name is uh, J.F. Lawton. Um, I'm sure that he was happy that this movie was a you know, humongous hit, and you know he still got full credit over it, even though it seemed like it was as close to like a full rewrite as can be. Um, but I think that, you know, that version of the story, I mean, I've, I've been, I've read people saying like, oh, that should have been the movie that would have been better. And I could think, yeah, it might be a little bit more realistic, but also would be a little punishing. Yeah. Um, and I think that could have, I think that movie would have been, I think in my opinion, that movie would have been more dated now than this one is because than the one we got, because, you know, I think, as you were saying, like, you know, sex work has just become a feminist issue and something that is less, becoming less stigmatized, or at least that's the attempt. So this kind of very, like, maybe, you know, rose-colored glasses version, but it's still, a, like, you know, uh, like intellectually interesting and, you know, progressively minded, you know, depiction of it, I think age has aged better than like that would have been, um, than the original concept. You know, I, um, I, I did like that, you know, how, how somewhat in control she was and how like she still fought for her, you know, body autonomy. Um, you know, for example, the scene we were talking about earlier with Jason Alexander, um, as hard as it was to like watch him kind of act very entitled and act, you know, very aggressively towards her, and essentially, you know, assuming that or feeling entitled to her body because of what she did, and then you know, very crudely insulting her when she rejected him. Uh, not only was that like very 
you know, um, it was hard to watch, but also a little refreshing that this movie addressed, you know, that um, the hypocrisy that that men have towards sex workers. And um, also, I mean, again, Julia Roberts' performance, like the way she just kind of like retreats into herself. Like I was, um, uh, I really noticed her shoulders. You know, that's something that I've seen in other films, you know, regarding this topic and uh, things that like my f- women friends have told me about, where it's just like you just want to like fold into yourself. And so um, I, was, I really appreciated that, like, this movie was very um, honest about that kind of behavior from, you know, from men and how, like, she reacted to it. Mm-hmm. I will say I did roll my eyes a bit at the line about her being relatively new to this. And then yeah, that was a little I'll- strange. Yeah, and then also later on when um, he finds her in the bathroom and he thinks that she's hiding drugs behind her back, but she's hiding floss behind her back. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because it's very much like, okay, she's a prostitute. But but she's like one of the good ones. Yeah. Innocent. Yeah, she's a clean prostitute who has been doing this long. So she's not really a prostitute. So, I mean... Again, I, I kind of rolled my eyes at those things, but I also yeah. I also kind of took took them for what they were worth. Like you know, th- this movie <laughs> it's a it's a big mainstream Hollywood rom com, and yeah. and I get that in 1990 they maybe weren't quite willing to go all the way with. <laughs> With certain aspects of, yeah. of this premise. But, like, I mean, I was also, like, um, of course, like, the sort of, like, uh, famous or infamous line about, like, you know, no kissing on the mouth, like, right. that came from Pretty Woman. I don't think that's a real thing. No. <laughs> but it's something that I've always associated with sex work as I was growing up, much to my embarrassment now. Um, but... Uh, I was surprised that when um, I guess I had forgotten that like they do have um, have sex the first night and so like in some like I guess there was a way that they they could make it like chase where he's like well I don't want to have sex with you I just want you to be, I want you to be my escort and then like as they like fall in love is when they get intimate but like no it's pretty much like you know from the get go like I mean I mean the thing is that like he's um, when they first meet, he's not thinking of her as, like, his companion for the week. Like, he just picks up a prostitute, um, which is, like, something that you just, like, would never see now in a mainstream movie. And so, like, there's so many, like, little ways that this movie is, like, a little transgressive, but then kind of, like, walks it back by, like, make, like, like you were saying, like, making her a very new prostitute, which I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, she's, like, 23 years old. What has she been doing for the last, you know, two decades of her life? I mean, that's, you know... Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's... Uh, but then you also have, like, the Laura San Gia, uh, Giacomo character, or Giacomo, who seems, like, more naive, but also less naive. I mean, I thought... I mean, she's a great great performance, but um, what did you think of the, that character? <laughs> uh, she's got a great acid wash uh, jean jacket. I just have to throw that out there. Yeah, uh, the yeah. whole... The whole wardrobe in this film has really aged very well. It's like totally come oh, yeah. back around in fashion. Um, I thought I thought she was good. I think like she she has so much personality, yeah. and and the scenes with uh with her and Julia Roberts I think really really shine. Um, just because the two of them the two of them seem 
they, they really do seem like a pair of friends and, yeah. and great foils for one another. Um, yeah, I like the way that she kind of plays this this mentor character who also is, you know, who's also a good friend. Like she she's not, you know, the way that that female friendship can be depicted in movies sometimes is that, you know, women are always at each other's throats. Right. We're backstabbing that we're like always frenemies, yeah. yeah, exactly. The frenemy thing. And when when Roberts kind of gets this this opportunity um, she doesn't forget about helping out her friend, even though she's clearly frustrated that her friend has blown their um, their rent money on drugs. But she doesn't forget about her friend. And then when she kind of, you know, does does really well at this trick, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, kind of she she finds that she's going to get out of this lifestyle. She's really like like she's really happy for her. And so I I did like. Um, yeah, I liked that pairing throughout the film, and and I think I think it's also nice to show, you know, that that these two women they might be you know sex workers, but they're really supportive of one another, and they they are, they care for one another. Yeah, um, I do have to say though, I hope after this movie ends that um, Julia Roberts takes care of Laura <laughs> San Giacomo, doesn't just leave her on the street like that. Well, I like that you. I like that at the ending you see that she's taking in um, the woman, the other prostitute that she was telling off at the beginning of the film. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like that you see that she, you know, she's kind of she's lost her buddy, uh, and she's, you know, at first she was yelling at this movie at the sorry she was yelling at this woman at the beginning of the movie, but at the end of the movie you see her taking her in as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, you mentioned the costumes. I really want to bring them up. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite outfit in the film? Oh my god! Oh, you know, I think, I think I love the dress that she wears to the um, to the polo match the best. Mm, yeah, yeah. I just, I think there's something about the way that Julia Roberts wears that dress, and it just, it looks. It looks so refined, um, but just like it looks so light. I think that's a really good one. What is your favorite? Yeah. Um, I mean, I love the red dress. Just because <sighs> yeah. it's just like, I mean, it's just like the classic kind of, you know, like Cinderella ball moment kind of dress, you know. I mean, it's not blue, but like it just has that like grand look. Um, I also love the. Um, the outfit she wears with like the blazer, I believe she wears it. Um, uh, unfortunately, I think she wears it in the the assault scene, but like that outfit, I really oh, like. Oh yeah, the like Bermuda um, shorts and blazer. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, I just like also love her hair. You know, she has that like wild red hair. Yeah, and like again, like it's. I mean, um, I guess I read some article about like curly hair versus straight hair like years ago, and like now like. Any time, like, a character has curly hair and then gets straightened, I'm like, okay, that means they're respectable. <laughs> um, and so, like, uh, I was really preparing myself for that, you know, that part of the makeover, which doesn't come. So I'm like, it's good. She's, like, staying her, like, self. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about fashion. So, you know, whether these outfits are coming back or not, I'm going to trust that they are. Um but I, the I, 90s are in, Manish. The yeah, 90s, 90s are in, yeah. Are in. 
Uh, but definitely there was no outfit where I was like, oh, I'm cringing at this. You know, she, yeah, everything looked very timeless. Mm-hmm. And um, one, like, one of the things that I wanted to, like, talk about is this idea of, like, passing and how, like, you kind of mentioned it earlier with, like, the, you know, how she's, like, a white cis woman and that's why she's able to kind of move through this space. And yeah. I just, like, that's something that I just, like, had not thought about at all watching this movie as a kid. Just be, Well, I mean, I just wasn't aware of these kind of, like, social issues then, but... Now I was thinking about it being like, yeah, like, there's no way that, like, um, I mean, like, like, there's just no way that she could, like, go into a store at any point and, you know, uh, be, like, respected as a customer if, unless she were exactly, you know, you know, a white cis woman. I think that's, that's fascinating. The way that, like, she can act a little, um, uh, uncouth and still, like, be, quote unquote like accepted like you know like the first dinner scene when she's like you know struggling to eat you know the escargot and you know kind of like and just like the way she like speaks sometimes like you know like there's that like level of like well she's still like allowed to do that because she's still like on a little bit of higher rung of like the social ladder so I just find that fascinating and like not, this movie does not engage with that at all I mean it's, of course it wouldn't and couldn't just because of the era that it was made and kind of the you know the the circumstances of it being like a big mainstream like movie for like mainstream audiences there's just no like I don't think the movie would even have the language to address that but I just find it fascinating um it's just, like, another layer of this movie being, like, a lot more, like, socially and politically fascinating beyond just, like, you know, being a, you know, popular romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't really imagine the women from Tangerine. That's, right, exactly. That's happening to them, right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, so, I was thinking about Tangerine a lot uh, watching this movie just because, you know, it is that kind of same, you know, L.A. kind of thing. And, yeah, I mean... Tangerine is almost like the mere opposite of this movie. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you know, I I do feel like so much of the of the criticism that I've seen of the film over the years is that you know it shouldn't be a lighthearted, fun movie if it's going to be about sex work. Right, and and I I I kind of disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think this actually this movie works because it's so lighthearted. Because um, I think it's able to like do a lot of these really heavy things without being too heavy-handed. It's just like it's just like this is just the reality of this you know universe of this you know social milieu, and so like they can like focus on making it a very like charming, fun romantic comedy without you know digging without like being too like preachy about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I feel like that original version of this like that 3000 script would would right. come across very preachy if it were made in 1990 you know yeah yeah sorry I had something and then it fell out of my head um well I did want to talk so about sorry. this sorry go ahead no, 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 I'm so sorry. I had something and it fell out of my head. I feel bad. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I just, I wanted to bring up the, like, success of this movie. I mean, this movie made almost $500 million. I think it was, like, 465 and 
Julia Roberts won a Golden Globe, I believe, and nominated for an Oscar. And, like, I mean, anytime I, like, talk about, you know, these, like, romantic comedies that just, like, make, you know, boffo money at the box office, just makes me a little nostalgic for this era where, like, a movie like this could, like, make, you know, so much money and, like, worldwide and make just, like, such an impact and also get, you know, awards attention and... Like, I believe the screenplay was nominated in some, in some award ceremonies. Like, I believe the BAFTAs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's just, like... And I just get a little, like, wistful for, like, that era where, like, a, rom- a romantic comedy that's just, like, on the surface, you know, very, like, pleasant, lighthearted, like, you know, Cinderella story, fairy tale, um, could just, you know become a huge hit and have, like, repeat audiences. Now I feel like a movie like this would just get, like, think piece to death and would maybe make a good amount of money but kind of disappear until it hits Netflix. Yeah, unfortunately, we're seeing kind of the death of the studio comedy. Yeah. (laughs) And it does kind of seem like the pandemic is trying to speed that along. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, the... Yeah... So many comedies now are getting, you know, moved to straight to VOD. And, like, I, I appreciate, like, because people more people... I think it's kind of, like, you know, what came first. Like, the audience leaving or, like, the movies not being made. Because I think, like, a movie like The Lovebirds with, you know, Issa Rae and Camille Nanjiani would probably not make a lot of money on in the theater, but would play really well on Netflix. But, like, is is that true because like they just don't make movies like that you know anymore like who knows like you know so it's just it's very complicated but you know um yeah i mean i just think and also i I guess you know people just i don't know what people did back then besides go to the movies so (laughs) yeah i (laughs) mean there's so many options here's hoping that like the success of crazy rich asians will yeah bring about a new renaissance I, uh, I remembered a, a point that i was gonna oh, bring up sure. in my head as was just um we were talking about um you know how the, the film is about sex work and and its portrayal and this kind of high concept premise i think one of the things that i find interesting about this whole premise is that by its very nature it lays bare the transactional aspects of dating and romance and love oh yeah yeah it's a great point by by making it an actual like monetary transaction, uh, you know, it just kind of cuts through, I think, you know, what we're all kind of aware of about, you know, romance to a certain extent, whether or not we want to admit it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially in this kind of like, you know, heteronormative, um, like mating ritual, like, I mean, like, I still like have people that I know who are very rigid about like gender norms while dating. And, you know, like, the man pays for everything all the time, and, you know, like, he needs to, like, buy gifts and stuff like that, and, um, and, I mean, if that's, you know, if that works for you, and that's, you know, how you are with your partner, that's fine, that's, you know, that's your choice, but, you know, like, it's such a fascinating thing to look at in this movie where, like, he's, like, literally, like, having to, like, take her to the store, so that he can lend his, like, respectability and wealth and, you know, status to her so that she can, you know, buy the clothes. Or, like, it really opens your eyes to, like, how transactional dating is. And I think mm-hmm. I mean, that's a really great point that, like, I just hadn't, I hadn't thought about just because... 
in some ways, like, yeah, like you were saying she like is like her own business person. And yeah, I mean, she's like a tough negotiator, you know, and um, I think that like, and that's just another way that like they're very similar in in ways, even though they're just come from very different social strata. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just yeah, it's just interesting how upfront the film is about yeah. how love is still, to a certain extent, in some ways, a monetary transaction. Yeah, yeah. Not not to be cynical, um, but I think it kind of really. It can really lay lay that bare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, do you have any final thoughts on Pretty Woman before we finish up here? Anything else you want to bring up from the film? I I guess just that you know I I think I think it's worth revisiting. Yeah, and I think you know it's it's easy to to dismiss the film for again like this this silly premise it's portrayal of of sex work and 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 at this point you know i'm sure i'm sure it feels cliched because this set a certain template for romantic comedies in the yeah. 90s yeah. you know this whole kind of cinderella fairy tale you know it, it would it would i think kind of dictate what we still think about as a romantic comedy but you know there is there's something kind of there's something deeply progressive but also deeply conservative about this film. Yeah. <laughs> that feels like it could only have been made in 1990. Right. Uh and Julia Roberts' performance is just so so effervescent. So like it's so it's so lively that you know, I think I think this film is maybe more than its reputation and still kind of lives up to the hype. It's not it's not without problems. It's not a perfect film. Probably not even Gary Marshall's best rom-com. But, you know, yeah. there's some, there is there is magic on screen. Yeah, I mean, we hardly talked about Gary Marshall. Um uh, but I think I mean like I guess like for me I think his best or maybe just my favorite movie is princess diaries i think that's yes, princess diaries you know totally. that's that's like the best one um and i think he yeah i mean he's there's a reason why this movie kind of solidified him as you know the rom-com guy and mm-hmm. um he's pretty much spent his the rest of his career doing that um even when he probably should have stopped um when he kind of lost touch um lost his touch so okay i do remember the thing that i wanted to bring up uh, which is the last lines of the last lines of the film, which I had totally forgotten, was completely taken by taken aback by. Uh, so I want to read them to you. Welcome to Hollywood. What's your dream? Everyone comes here. This is Hollywood, land of dreams. Some dreams come true, some don't. But keep on dreaming. This is Hollywood. Always time to dream. So keep on dreaming. <laughs> And like, aside from the fact trip. that, yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that the word "dream" is said about a thousand times in that thing, I did find it fascinating that that is not a character that is in the movie at all. He's credited as Happy Man, um, played by a character named Abdul Salam El Razak, um, and um, I found that those lines fascinating because I think that it's sort of this movie's way of saying that, like, this is 
a Hollywood fairy tale. And, like, this is not something that, like, not to take this movie at, you know, surface level, like, real, like, like, realism, right? Like, it's supposed to, like, they're aiming it for it to be this, like, you know, larger-than-life romantic comedy in that, like, so that, in some ways, it's, like, kind of, like, forgiving of this sort of, like, problematic, you know, parts of it and, like, those, like, the wealth as wealth fulfillment thing, like, I don't know. I think those lines are, like, very silly, (laughs) but... And I'm also a terrible actor, so I apologize (laughs) for that. Um, But I just found that to be fascinating that, like, this random character who's not a character at all in the film has these this random voiceover or, like, these random lines about Hollywood dreams and... You know, like it, the, the, that little monologue sounded like something that could come out of like Mulholland Drive, right? Like, kind of like, <laughs> you know, like this is Hollywood fantasy, and you know, just let like let it like let it be that, and not have to make it be this like not hold it that standard of like a gritty, realistic, you know, mm-hmm. drama about sex work. So, I don't know. I just found that those last lines to be very interesting. <laughs> I now really want to see. David Lynch's take on... I mean, honestly, like, I mean, Mulholland Drive is probably as close to, uh, you know, his Pretty Woman, I think. It, that, that's probably <laughs> true. Yeah, but it, yeah. In a lot of ways. It's one, I mean, they say, like, they reference Cinderella. Like, it's right. totally a fairy yeah. tale. And a fantasy, and yeah. Yeah, the, the, it's pretty upfront and honest about that. <laughs> exactly. So, Erin, where can people find you online? Uh, I uh, I do two podcasts. Uh, one is called Trash Art in the Movies that I do with uh, Paul Matwichuk, where we take a high art film and a low art film with something in common, and then we discuss them. Uh, and then I do a podcast with my partner, Matt Bowes, called uh, Bollywood is for Lovers, that is all about Hindi cinema. We discuss a lot of romantic comedies over there. Uh, and you've joined us for two episodes already, and who knows when you'll be joining us again uh, when we get our active gear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Erin E. Fraser, E R N E F R A S B R. I recommend you you can follow me on twitter at the manish 89 that's t-h-e-m-a-n-i-s-h-89 also follow the podcast at it's much for you please remember to rate review subscribe to the show to help you find the show um aaron thank you so much for doing this i have a great time good thank you for having me